Welcome to this week's episode of the Bulldog Broadcast on the Field of 68 Network. I'm your host, as usual, Dan Dickow, former Zag, current broadcaster um, and analyst. But today we're going to kind of flip the script and I'm not really going to be the host. I'm going to be the guest. Today's co-hosts, none other than the esteemed Rob Doster and Jeff Goodman. Take it away, fellas. You put the right name first. Let's just let me start with that. You put the right name first. <laughs> I, I knew one of you would be throwing a comment out there one way or the other based on who I, I said the name first. You're right. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to try to be kind today. Uh, you know, I've shoveled snow for the last three days straight, so I'm, I'm feeling good that I don't have to shovel today uh, out here in Boston. I'm going to let Rob start it off, uh, especially since – if you didn't know, Dan, he lost 12 straight bets, 12 straight. Like that's impossible to do, Dan. Like you can't do that if you tried. Uh, Rob Doster is the worst uh, handicapper probably in the planet right now. So is that is that play money or is that real money? Uh, it, de- it depends on who asks. i used to be there too so i I think every competitive guy at some point is kind of had that same thing going (laughs) all right right, you started out question for you dan um is so my biggest worry about gonzaga playing um in the wcc like having the schedule they had and then playing in the wcc and then get ready getting ready for the ncaa tournament is it's so easy to kind of fall into bad habits where you know, you kind of have some slow starts and uh, maybe you're not playing your best right away because you know that you just need to be able to turn it on to be able to beat teams. So um, is that something that, I mean, you're watching this team as close as anyone. Are you worried about that? You've experienced this. Is it something that people should actually be concerned about moving forward? Like how, how do you see this, these kind of slow starts uh, building up and playing out? No, I, I don't think so. I, I'm not really concerned about it. Would it be nice to add a higher level program in? Absolutely. And I know Coach Few has done everything he can, and I'm sure we'll touch on that at some point in this conversation. Um, but at the same time, Gonzaga has been in the same quote unquote predicament now almost every year for the past 20 years. You know, how much, well, really, honestly, probably the last 10 to 12 years um, where people are always questioning, well, they don't play anybody until the NCAA tournament. I disagree. The WCC teams gear up. They give Gonzaga their best shot. Um, so, so they are challenged in that regard. And then I think the other point um, to your question that, that would answer that is because Coach Few's been through this before and he's done it a number of times, they're pushing all the right buttons at practice. You know, I can't get down there and watch this year like in years past, but, you know, sometimes those Monday and Tuesday practices in years past were pretty darn competitive. Guys would get physical. They'd get after it. They would scrimmage more uh, than you would than you would expect, like a, a different college program to get scrimmage at that particular point in the season. Um, so they're staying pretty game sharp. All right. So I, I'll uh, I, I talked to a few for a while earlier today. Uh, one of the was things he, was he about to go fishing. I don't know what he was doing. I'm not sure <laughs> what he was doing. If it was lunchtime. Yeah, probably lunchtime. So I think he was heading in the car, grabbing some lunch. I don't know where his favorite spot is. You would know that better than me. Um, some sandwich spot that, that he, he would take me to when I was out in Spokane anyway. All right. So we were talking about Baylor a little bit and, uh, and he was heaping praise on Baylor 
saying how much he loves watching them. And last night they beat Texas fairly handily. And he said, listen, I think they're the number one team in the country right now. I think they're the best team in the country. So is that few being few? Like he doesn't know I'm going to write that, if I'm going to write it, whatever. Like the greatest thing about Mark Few is in a conversation, he doesn't give a shit. Like he's just yeah. talking. Um, so I don't even know if I'm going to use that. But but is that is that real? Is that him thinking how I'm going to try to motivate my kids and I'm telling them that I think Baylor's the best team in the country, even though I believe we have the best team? I think a little bit of both. I think Coach Few is always one of those coaches that he might – privately think that to himself that yes we're very good but he's always looking for the angles of where we can get better and what we can get better at what we need to 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 improve I mean I've been at shoot arounds before where they're getting ready to go against you know a a November non-conference opponent and he'll he'll stop shoot around and be like look if you don't follow this scouting report and you let this guy get going in in a whether it's a post up or coming off a staggered double double screen if you let him get going we're in for a long night so you better lock in you better pay attention he'll he'll always find one or two little kind of you know nuances of each team that you know kind of shows and sh- and, and makes you think he knows uh, something about that team that you really have to lock in. And he does a really nice job of that. I'm not surprised that he would say Baylor is the number one team right now. Cause when you watch them, good Lord, they're good. I mean, I watched about half of that Texas game last night, that backcourt Jared Butler is, I love that kid's game. I mean, offensively, defensively hustle plays, plays the right way. You name it with Jared Butler, you're getting it. Uh, Mitchell and Teague, I like those guys a lot. And then their bigs are so dang active. I, I don't think their bigs are they're, – they're definitely not as skilled as Drew Timmy on the block, but with their length, their athleticism, and, and how hard they play, they haven't had an issue with it yet. <laughs> so let's break it down. Let's go through that matchup. Let's say hypothetically uh, they do end up playing, um, whether it is a non-conference game, should we get lucky enough, or maybe in the national title game. How do you think they break down? Oh, man, you are putting me on the spot today, fellas. Um, (laughs) You know, I've been asked this question a a few different times by other people. Um, Do do I want to see them play this game? After the game was was canceled in, what, December? Um, If they could have played it before non-conference, I was 100% for it. Now the fact that both teams are in conference – I think they have to they have to kind of stay allegiance, keep their allegiance to their conferences, do everything they can to make sure those games get going um, and don't rearrange prior games on the schedule to make it happen. My personal uh, preference, what I would love to see is both teams run feed in the national title game. How epic would that be? And I haven't received my you know, uh, my assignment yet for Westwood One Radio with the NCAA tournament. I've called games last seven, eight years. And, and I've been to the, I was going to go to the final four last year before everything shut down. And, and I'm going to have to figure out a way that I get assigned to that final four weekend. Cause I mean, that would be an epic, epic game if both teams by chance get there undefeated. Yeah. Listen, no, no doubt. Um, one of the things I talked to you a little bit about was, and I gave him so much credit for it that right now they could they could just be worried about running the table, right? Like they don't have to play a, a top team and they were close. They, they were trying to get Houston and Houston backed out. 
according to my sources. Uh, then Villanova was going to play, but ultimately the Big East and Georgetown. The problem was Villanova went on this long pause, and Jay Wright felt bad that he screwed up a lot of the Big East. So he didn't want to screw him up again. So ultimately they're playing Georgetown. But Gonzaga was going to play, whether it was Houston, whether it was Villanova, like whether it was Baylor, like whoever Mark Few could play right now, he would play, even with the fact that they have this undefeated uh, potential on their on their schedule right now. Like they could they could run this thing. And he said like, and he said this before the year, before the year started. He was like, this is all about the kids. Like Corey Kispert wants to play Villanova or Houston. Drew Timmy wants to play as good a team as he can play. Why? I don't care if we lose a game. If we get embarrassed, I'll, I'll use it to our advantage if we have to. And that's one of the misunderstood things about Gonzaga's program. You could go back, you know, even before that first Elite Eight run in 99. It, it, the year before, they were an absolute unknown. So this would have been uh, that group went to the Great Alaska. No, not the Great Alaska. It was the top of the world classic, whatever it was, in Fairbanks, Alaska. Yeah. They yeah. knocked off Clemson, and Clemson was ranked number five at the time. They also played – I believe it was at Kansas that year in their season opener. They played at Memphis when Memphis was good. Gonzaga, with, 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 when Coach Few has been an assistant and when Monson was the head coach and now obviously with Fewey as the head guy for over 20 years, they'll play anybody. They will send out as many feelers as possible to the top-name programs to play a game. And so when people make these comments, oh, Gonzaga doesn't play anybody – they don't understand how hard it is to get a schedule to play because somebody might have prior commitments or there's lots of East Coast teams. People don't believe this. There's lots of East Coast teams that won't travel west of the Mississippi unless it's the Great Maui Invitational. Well, that makes a certain amount of sense. But at the same time, you know, it is unbelievably difficult to get teams to, to commit to games. And Coach Few and his staff need more credit nationally than I think some people realize just how proactive they have been and are, especially this year, in trying to schedule as many good games as possible. So let's let's talk about the team itself. Um, Jalen Suggs seems like he's – I don't want to say he's hit a wall. Um, um, that might be a little bit too strong, but it just it, it seems like he's kind of not playing as well as he was maybe early on in the season. Are, are you seeing anything there? Is this just kind of a thing where he's like he's a point guard, he's going to let the game come to him? Um, are you worried about it? Like, what are you what are you seeing with him? I mean, you play point guard in the NBA, yeah. you know, the position as well as anyone. You know, I, I think the biggest thing that you're seeing is early on in the season, no other head coaches and, and staffs had the ability to scout and put together a game plan. And so you were based uh, you were basing your 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 game plan off of what you thought he could do, depending on what you may have seen him do at the high school AAU circuit level. And so they didn't know go under screens or go over screens, trap ball screens, get back in transition and form a wall, uh, or are you going to pick them up early? And, and so I think what you've seen is teams based on their own personnel coming up with a game plan to kind of frustrate him. And, and you've seen a number of different things that have happened um, as far as those game plans. But I think what you're also seeing on his side is I think too many times He's trying to make the perfect play now as opposed to earlier in the season where he was just making the right play qu quickly and correctly. 
He's tried to thread the needle a little bit too much with, with pocket passes. He's tried to throw over the top when really things weren't there, or maybe he's thrown it and it's gotten there, but it's been to the right guy, not understanding, okay, you can throw it to that guy on the run, but you can't throw it to this guy on the run. And those are, those are learning curve things that every point guard has to go through at every level. I don't care how good you are uh, or how good you're going to become each level is different and there's a, there's a learning curve to it. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing I've seen is, um, you know, his turnovers in league have increased as opposed to what they were in non-conference. And a lot of that's based on a game plans by, by opponents. Uh, and then the three point shooting percentage, he didn't come into college with a reputation of being a great three point shooter. You watch the mechanics, they're solid, but they're not by any stretch you know, repped out consistent with everything that you're going to be thinking, okay, you know what? He hit seven threes against Iowa. This is an everyday deal. No, that, that wasn't the case. And so you're starting to see his, his shooting numbers from three point range um, kind of come back to, to the level of, of what people who know the game thought they were going to be. So is your best lineup, like if I'm saying you're, who you want on the floor? Do you want Suggs and Emhart on the floor together? I think you're going to see that a ton, and I think you have seen that a ton. Coach Few's best teams, honestly, have always had two ball handler, two playmaker, two decision makers. You go back to the Elite Eight team with uh, with Quentin Hall and Matt Santangelo, myself and Blake Stepp. Um, the 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 team that went to the Elite Eight, um, Pangos. Stockton and Gary Bell. I mean, they basically had three playmakers at the time. Um, Nigel Williams, Goss and Josh Perkins. So anytime he's had a chance to put multiple ball handlers on the floor, he's done it. Um, and, and so I do think you're going to see a lot of that. The question is because, you know, Gonzaga does have limited backcourt depth, especially now with Ballo out. Um, how much can you do that? Well, you're going to see over these next few weeks how comfortable he is doing that. You might even see Kispert slide to a five at times and play literally a five guard lineup. Um, I mean, I, I think if I remember correctly the other night, I think Watson was at the five with Kispert at the four. I want to say it was against Pepperdine. I can't remember, but uh, you're, you're going to see some unique lineups in um, coming up. I would think. That's going to be a lot of fun if he does that though. Like I, I think that it could work. You know, because, I mean, Kispert's yeah. not small. He's like a six foot seven dude. He's tough. Joelle Yayi will get in there and, and, you know, get his hands dirty on the glass. And then – And here's what imagine- that lineup does. You can switch one through five with no yeah. with, with with no concern about anybody getting rolled down into the post for a post-up. You know, you, you don't have to guard a pick and roll and be concerned about somebody getting beat off the bounce. I mean, I'll be honest. We couldn't have done that with my teams or with the Kevin Pangos teams because – we switch on a big well guess what we're getting taken down on the block you know with some of those other teams um you know they're going to isolate and pick and rolls and and attack a a big who can't slide his feet so um i I think defensively it works um against the right teams right yeah i would agree i mean listen kispert can guard certain guys down in the post You're, you're not putting them up uh you know, if you're playing against Iowa, against Luca Garza, you, you yeah. don't want that happening. But yeah, but uh, then think about Luca Garza having to chase Corey Kispert around on the perimeter totally. like that, totally. <laughs> and that's part of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what you're seeing. I mean, that's that. That's why this continuity ball screen offense that Gonzaga runs, and it seems like more college teams than not have a 
a, a package of that in their playbook because it makes all five guys have to guard and move on the same possession. And all it takes is one mistake. And then if you're good enough offensively, you're going to expose it. Yeah, I mean, that's basically America's play at this point, right? Like it got it to the point that I, yeah. I, thought, I talk about this all the time, but it, it became so much ingrained in like basketball in America that that's what Tony Bennett was running when they won the national title. Tony Bennett, Mr. Blocker Mover himself was running continuity ball screen and won a national title. with it. Like, so everyone's got to run it now, right? It's basically a law. In college, it, you know, it's it's funny. It really is because because my son, uh, his youth team, um, we've been running it for about five years, and the we ran it because the the other team here in town in Spokane that that gave us fits ran it, and I'm like, fine, we can't stop it. We're gonna run it ourselves. <laughs> and now I swear, ninety percent of youth teams that I've seen over the last two three years run some form some form of it. It's hilarious. So I, I want to know, I want the full scouting report of Dan Dickow on the sidelines. Like when he's coaching an 11-year-old basketball team, I, I need the full scouting report, the full breakdown. Are you going crazy? Are you the guy cussing out refs and, and <laughs> technical fouls? Have you been thrown out yet? Give me, I need the full scouting report. No, no, no. So, you know, I've got a my, – my son is a, an eighth grader. His group of buddies, they're, they're freshmen now. We've had a, the group together for about six, seven years. And uh, another dad and myself have coached it. And, and we've coached them pretty hard over the last – you know, six years or so. The the best advice I was ever given was by John Stockton. And I was asking him, I was like, hey, you coached your boys growing up. What's the best approach? He's like, coach them like it's game seven of the NBA finals. <laughs> like, All right, fine, let's go. So we coach them pretty hard in practice. You know, we, we get after it. You know, we expect a high level of intensity and, and focus and energy. Game-wise, you know, we we expect you to do the things that we worked on in practice. Um, but it, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's a lot of fun coaching, coaching your boy uh, and, and some of his buddies and seeing them improve over the years. Um, but I have, I've only gotten one technical and that was in a tournament in Portland last year, president's day tournament uh, hoop source. It's a pretty big tournament um, in Spokane basketball for youth is good but you don't see the up and down style that you would in LA or Chicago or Seattle. So we're in Portland, a national tournament. And they, they call the game completely differently than they do in Spokane as far as officials with fouls. So we prepare our kids and we talk to them about it. Hey, you're not going to get fouled. If you're driving the lane, you got to block out. They're not going to call over the back, all this stuff. And the official literally one minute in told me to sit down. And I looked at him. I said, well, you got to tell me what I'm complaining about. And he goes, seatbelt don't get up again and I and I had no idea what he was talking about he gave me the seatbelt rule one minute into the game and if I stood up again I was kicked out of the gym and I look over at the other coach that's coaching with me and we both shake our heads not knowing anything what's going on because neither one of us had heard it the whole we'd never heard of the seatbelt rule oh man hey have you have you seen Fuey watching his kids play ball like have you have you been around him when he's you know he's in the stands uh watch him one of what i forget what does he have i know he's got a son right now who is a is a son of senior in high school or freshman yeah joe joe is at gonzaga prep um i believe he's a senior yeah uh aj's his oldest he i believe he's kind of helping out with the gu men's program and then he's got a daughter who i want to say is fifth, fifth or sixth grade and my son and her have played in a gym at the same time. 
And so I've gone over there and, and talked to Coach Few while he's watching. Uh, I've actually seen him coach her team one time when the other coach wouldn't, All right, so wouldn't what's able that to make it. What was that? And that was funny because after the game, I talked to him and uh, I said, Coach, you kind of have a little different, uh, you know, kind of a energy level to you coaching here than you do during the season. And he just kind of rolled his head and what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you know, you're not up stomping your feet, yelling at the officials. You're just kind of taking it all in and, you know, pointing, telling people where to go. But he, he got a he got a chuckle out of that. But yeah, it's uh, he's still intense with it, but not in the same way. Yeah, I, I, I love I've always said this. I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but few and I, few and I would would argue years ago. He would he would argue with me that not that I was working too hard, but I that I didn't have the right balance between family and and work. Because you know you're I'm trying to break in the business. I'm 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 working crazy hours. I'm trying to um, do a little bit of everything. And now he laughs at me because I, I totally understand. He was right. Like he, he's got it figured out more than any other coach in America because he's, he's figured out the balance and yet still being able to, to win at the highest level. And you look at other guys like Billy Donovan was a maniac. And we were talking about this earlier today. And Tom Izzo is out every single day in the summer. And, uh, and Mark works when he needs to work, but he's not just doing it to do it, to say that he's in the office or to say that he, he's going to pick his spots. And, and I don't know. I just I feel like, again, a lot of coaches, if they had a chance to watch Mark View and watch how he recruits and watch how he coaches and watch how he deals with with his players, uh, they learn a lot. They learn a lot about, again, balance and, and just understanding people. hundred percent. You know, there I can go back and think and remember times when I was at, at GU, we would get a message, hey, practice is bumped back an hour. Okay, well, why? Well, we find out later he wasn't going to make it back from fishing in time. So, you know, they, they, they passed on the message. This was really – this was pre-iPhone. This was like you got the text, you got the ABC, you got to, like, type it in a bunch of times. So yeah. instead you had kind of the phone tree of, hey, you got to call the next person. So – um, you know, that was something you saw then, but I think the biggest thing along the lines of what you're kind of, you know, mentioning or alluding to is he's, he's a hundred percent present present in what's important at that time. And if there's, if it's practice in a certain detail, he's focused in on boom, he's there. But then if there's a, if there's a break in practice where it's the focus or the teaching point time for another uh, assistant coach, he has no problem stepping aside for five minutes and, and talking to the, the, the grad student coach uh, at the other end of the baseline because they understand they're, they're all teaching towards the same point. Uh, and then that goes along the lines of, you know, when he leaves practice, he doesn't take everything with him. I mean, he understands like better than any coach I, I've seen around at the college level. And, and I, I've met quite a few through my broadcasting and just friendships I have. He understands that you can't leave practice mad at 5.30 p.m. about a mistake that was made at practice at 3.15. It's done. It's over. You can, you can uh, get that focused and detail worked out tomorrow with the player or the assistant coach. There's no point in grinding on it 24 hours a day. All right. I think, I think we're done grilling you for today. I think, uh, I, I think we got it. Uh, we hit you with some tough ones, uh, mixed it up a little bit today. You'll be back to your 
your A-list guest next week, right? This was. I don't, I don't know about you, Jeff, but I'm feeling pretty A-list these days. You're yeah, not. Hey, you guys are. You guys have been phenomenal guests. I, I've got a couple in the works that we just couldn't uh, organize times for my schedule in our future guest schedule, but. We'll get some uh, some ones that are pretty interesting for other people, guys that were were good players, but now still involved in the program to a certain capacity, so that they've got kind of a different set of eyes on it than you know somebody that that played at a at a different time at GU. You know the one I still want to hear. Who's that? I still want the the Dan Munson early day stories, the Billy Greer Dan Munson early day stories um, when they were hanging out, when they were having fun. As, as as GAs, as, you know, young coaches. I, I know not all those stories can probably be told on this podcast, but uh, I'm sure there are some that can. Well, I'll see if I can get that one. I know uh, Coach Monson and Billy Greer and Ray Jack Letty have all told me, as well as Leon Rice, they would, they've all said that they'd come on at any point and, and talk their GU experiences. Uh, it might take some scheduling and organizing to get that done, but I'll see what I can do. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm ready for that one. I can't wait. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys joining. This has been another episode of the Bulldog broadcast as the Zags continue to roll in an undefeated season. For myself, your host, Dan Dickow, today's guest, Jeff Goodman first this time, Rob Doster second. 